They get to stay in here with us this morning as we continue to work through our Prioritize series. We started that at the very outset of the year, taking a look at our core values as a church. We have six of them, and we worked through two of them so far. We'll take a look at the third this weekend and three more in subsequent weekends. And this morning, our kids get to be in here as we talk about a very important core value. So the fund, one of the fundamentals of our church, something we call meaningful membership. Meaningful membership. Now, listen, if you're new with us, this might be a little bit different for you. If you have been with us in the past, um, you, you might say this isn't the way you would normally teach, okay? So if you've been around for a while, you know we, don't, we normally are chopping up one passage of Scripture as we kind of um, dissect it and digest it for all it's worth, Lord willing. Um, but this morning, um, here, and here's the deal, because there's no um, book of Amaziah, okay, where there's Amaziah chapter 3 verse 11 that says, thou shalt become a member of a church, okay, and nor is there some 7th chapter to 1st Timothy that pulls together all the evidence for church membership in the New Testament. We're going to move around a little bit. We're going to move from several different texts as we talk about this idea of meaningful membership and why it's one of our core values. And so, but let me be clear out of the gate. When we talk about church membership here at Redeemer, one of the things we want to recognize is that membership in a church and membership in a club are two different things. Are you with me? Membership in a church and membership in a club are two different things. Like every year around this time, whenever I walk into the doors of Costco, Right into the where uh, the, the 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 wholesale club there uh, to go buy gallons of liquid Zyrtec for my children to combat their allergies when cedar begins to pollute the air. Um, every time about this year when I walk up to the register and go to check out, they're like, oh, sir, your membership is up for renewal. Would you like to do that today? And so, you know, I pay the fee to renew my membership so I can keep getting gallons of liquid Zyrtec and anything else that we might want to buy in bulk at Costco. Um, but membership in a club, like a wholesale club um, or like a record club, some of you guys may be old enough to remember those things, the music clubs where you... Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but where you paid a monthly due and then they sent you cassette tapes, y'all know what those are, uh, CDs, those little shiny discs, right, they sent those in the mail to you, um, and so for like $5.99 a month or $12.99, there's like tiers of membership, and you got so many albums every month that you could listen to, and so you paid in order to have those perks and privileges, or maybe like a country club where you get access to tennis courts or golf courses or clubhouses or swimming pools, right? When we normally think of membership in something, we think of paying for access to perks and privileges. That's what we tend to think of when we think of membership. Some of you may have rewards programs you're a part of where if you spend X amount of dollars, you get X amount of points or X amount of miles, and you can cash those puppies in and redeem them for a great vacation. That's that's what we think of when we think of membership. But listen, when we think of, well, I want to shift gears for you this morning mentally, and when you think of church membership, I don't want you to think about access and perks and privileges. What I want you to think about when you think about church membership is discipleship, responsibility, and accountability. It's not about access, perks, and privileges. Now, don't get me wrong. There are great privileges for being a part of a member, member of a church as a family. But listen, it's not about paying to get access to those things. It's about discipleship, responsibility, and accountability. Let me see if I can break it down for you this way. The local church here in the world, okay, is like an embassy, 
You know what an embassy is? An embassy, uh, politically, on the international stage, an embassy is essentially the outpost of one kingdom or nation that exists within the boundaries or sovereign territory of another kingdom or nation. That's what an embassy is. And so that the, the rule of one nation inside of another nation, the rule of one kingdom inside of another kingdom. And when you think about the church in our day and age, listen, the, Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 4 that our citizenship is not where? It's not here on earth, but where? In heaven. And then you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul talks about us being reconciled to God in Christ, and him not counting our trespasses against us and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation and that he has made us ambassadors for Christ. In other words, representatives for Christ as representatives of one kingdom in the midst of another kingdom. And so the church is to be full of Christians who are ambassadors for the kingdom of God amongst the kingdoms of men. So they are essentially outposts of kingdom work in the context of particular cultures and places. So the people of God amongst the people of the earth, their embassies are outposts. Right? And an ambassador who's a part of one of those embassies has great responsibility, has great accountability to those who are, whose, whose, whose um, kingdom they're representing, whose rule and, and reign they're representing. Okay? And so listen, church membership is not about perks and privileges, it's about responsibility, accountability, and discipleship. And so when you think of church membership, let's think of it through those lenses, not through the common lenses that we might look at every other membership that we're a part of in any club that you might join. You with me so far? That's what we're thinking about when we think of church membership. Now listen, as I said before, there's no one text that we can go to, but there are pieces of evidence that I want to pull together from the New Testament that help us understand why meaningful membership should be a part of the life of a local church. And there's at least four pieces of evidence I wanna give you this morning. Listen, I preached a similar sermon back in 2018 where I talked about five, but I had to whittle it down this morning and give you four, okay? So I'm gonna give you four of those and then we're gonna talk about the results of church membership and then what we need to do about that, okay? So four pieces of evidence for membership in a local body. And the first one is this. It's the oversight of elders. Now, each of these is going to build on the other, so I want you to track with me, but the oversight of elders. See, in the New Testament, elders or pastors or leaders are likened to shepherds, and they're commanded to oversee and care for a particular flock. Okay, that's a part of a particular pasture within these particular boundary lines, okay? First Peter chapter five, beginning in verse one, Peter writes these words. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
Now Peter says, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you by exercising oversight. Now oversight is not domineering, it's not top-down dictatorship, it's not abusive, manipulative, coercive leadership, but oversight in the Bible is essentially this. It's being attentive and concerned and caring for in a very compassionate way the needs of those who are under your charge, the needs of those who are part of your flock among you. That's what Peter says here, among you. Okay? Now listen, oversight is not only, we, when we think of oversight and leadership in church, we tend to think of the development of programs. Okay? But listen, I want you to know something, that before programs are ever in the windshield of an elder or a leader in the life of a local church, people ought to be in their windshield. People, not just programs, budgets, and facilities, but people. All kinds of people. And listen, if you've been in, if, being in ministry for now 22 years, okay? Listen, I've met all kinds of people. People who are teachable. And they, they sit and soak up whatever you have to teach them. And the people who are unteachable, okay? Who think they already know everything they need to know and you can't teach them anything. Okay? You meet all kinds of people, and it's concern for those people, people who are younger brothers and older brothers, those who are living in hard-hearted, sinful rebellion like the younger brother in the prodigal son's story, and those who are living in hard-hearted self-righteousness like the older brother. It's concern for them. It's concern for those who have strong consciences, those who have weak consciences, those who are tempted at every turn in life. It's concern for those who are well and they're able to serve. It's concern for those who are sick and homebound. It's concern for those whose hearts are hurting. It's concern for those whose hearts are healing. Right? It's concern for those who are, who are still relatively young and naive and just can't figure out why some people can't get over some things. Right? It's concern for those individuals as well. It's concerned for those in the deepest of the valleys and those at the peaks of the mountains, those who just buried a child and those who are delivering or adopting. It's concerned for all kinds of people coming from all kinds of places and all kinds of walks of life. That's the oversight that ought to be exercised by elders of the flock of God that is among them. That is among them. Now, not among the weekday Bible study in the neighborhood. Not among a network of friends from your kid's school. Not among a parachurch ministry that you happen to be a part of or contribute to. Now there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they are not the boundary markers of a particular pasture that a shepherd is responsible for the sheep who call that pasture home. Those are the ones that they are responsible to exercise oversight for, where the Holy Spirit has made them an overseer. So the first piece of evidence, the oversight of elders, second piece of evidence, is the submission of members. Submission of members. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the author of Hebrews gives this command. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now listen, church, this is one of the most frightening passages in all, in all the Bible for me, okay? Knowing that as a pastor, knowing as an elder, that one day I will stand before God and have to answer. 
not only for myself, but for you. For how I've fed you. For how we as elders have led you. For how we have served you. For how we have cared for you. Why, how we have discipled you. It's a frightening passage for me. But the question, listen, there's a question here embedded in this text for every elder or for every pastor, for every leader in every local church, and it's this. For whom must I give an account? If I've got to give an account one day to God, who am I responsible to give an account for? Right? Is it everyone who walks through those doors, right? Is it kind of the folks who are one and done, they visit one time, and then like, ah, this place isn't for me, I'll go find someplace else, right? Is it for those folks who show up at Christmas and Easter and a few other gratuitous, gratuitous visits throughout the year? Is that who I'm responsible to give an account for? Is it those who have decided of their own accord this is where they're going to plant themselves without any input from anyone else? Is it for regular attenders who are part of a life of a body? Is it for those who decide by themselves this is where they want to go to church and decide by themselves this is when it's time to leave this church? Is that who I have to give an account for? And I would think, based upon the witness of Scripture, that the answer to all those questions is no. Rather, I as an elder or a pastor and the other elders, I've told you this before, listen, Stanley and Steve and whoever else steps into the role of an elder in the life of this church will not stand behind me at the day of judgment. They will stand beside me and together we will give an account to God. All right? So it's not just me, but us as elders. The ones we must give an account to is those who submit themselves to the leadership of a particular body of elders in a particular church. Not serial daters. You know what I'm talking about? Not those with commitment issues. Okay? This is why what we, we, we hold what we call here at Redeemer covenant membership. Okay? Covenant membership. Now look, some of us are leery of that whole idea of a church covenant which we have. Let me, let, me just, let me just hopefully tell you why we have that right now, okay? Listen, every church that you probably would visit would have what they would call a doctrinal statement or a statement of faith. And in that doctrinal statement or that statement of faith, what they're gonna have is a condensed version of what they believe the Bible teaches about what we ought to believe, okay? So it's not everything the Bible says, but it's a condensed version about the core doctrines of the, of the church that we believe the Bible teaches and we ought to believe, okay? On the other hand, a church covenant, listen, is a condensed version of what we believe as a local church the Bible teaches about what, how we ought to live, about how we ought to live in relationship to each other, about how we ought to live in relationship to a lost world, about how we ought to care for each other, about how we ought to correct each other, about how we ought to disciple each other, about how we ought to encourage each other. That's what a church covenant is, okay? So it's, it's not something that we, like if you read our church covenant, it is shot through with scripture, okay? That's really all it is. It's like as a member of this church, I'm committing, I'm covenanting with you, Right? And what a covenant is, listen, a covenant is different than, uh, it, it's an intentional step forward. It's not kind of crawfishing backwards into something. Okay? It's not like, oh, well, I guess I've been here long enough, so I'm a member. No, it's intentionally stepping forward into that and saying, yes, this is the place. These elders I trust. These leaders I trust. 
and I want to covenant with the body here to submit to their leadership, even as we hold them accountable, and they're discipling us, teaching us, and leading us. Okay? So it's not crawfishing backwards into it, but it's stepping intentionally forwards towards it. In fact, one of the statements in our membership covenant is this. It says, I understand the importance of submission to church leadership and will be diligent to preserve unity and peace. Hebrews 13, 17. Okay, so by affirming the membership covenant, we're agreeing that the Bible teaches us to be submissive to those that God has placed and, and, and will have to give an account based on the way they've exercised oversight in that particular pastor, among that particular flock, in that particular body. Okay, now listen, let me say something real briefly. Some of us have some church hurt, which makes us leery of the language of submission to elders and leaders because we've been in churches where the leadership, the eldership, the pastors there have been abusive, right? Where they've fleeced the sheep for all they're worth, all right? We've been in churches where the leadership has been coercive, where the leadership has been manipulative. And I want you to know something, church. I want you to know, that, listen, that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we believe the New Testament teaches that there's not one singular elder in the life of the church, one singular pastor in the life of the church, but there are a plurality of elders and pastors in the life of the church, and listen, I am one among them. So you know what that means? That means there have been times in which I have lost. You know what I'm talking about? When we bring things to a vote as a body of elders, I got one vote. I have no veto power, right? And you know why? Because that means those men can jam me up at times over things that I might think that might be destructive in the life of the church, right? And so they have clearer thinking than I do at times. They can correct me, and we can encourage each other along the way. And listen, that's why in the life of this church, the ultimate authority does not lie in the elders, but in the church body. And so if there is an unruly group of elders, right, you know what you can do? You can vote us all out and say, we're going to go find some new ones, okay? And yet, whenever there are godly leaders that God bestows gifts of leadership to in the life of a local body, his normative command is to make those leaders, make their job a delight and not a burden by coming alongside and being a part of the vision that God gives and submitting to that, okay? So submitting to those that God has placed in oversight of a particular congregation. With me so far? Oversight of elders, submission of members. Third, third is the practice of discipline. It's the practice of discipline, okay? Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Here's what Jesus says about engaging with a brother or a sister who sins against you in the life of the church. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So listen, if somebody sins against you, your first call is not to me, okay? Your first call is not to one of our elders, your first call is not to the life group leader unless it was the life group leader, okay? Your first call is to them. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, one thing I want you to notice is in verse 17 where Jesus says, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. And if he won't listen to the church, now the church essentially is the body in a particular place. You bring it before the body in that place. So church discipline in the New Testament is not exercised by an elder. It's not exercised by a group of elders. Now, the group of elders might be the two or three that you take with you to go and engage in the conversation, appealing to your brother, appealing to your sister. But ultimately, church discipline in the New Testament is exercised by the church, for the church, upon the church. So it's a church body affair, okay? And listen, without church membership... The submission of members to the oversight and care of a particular group of elders in a particular pasture, in a particular church, then church discipline makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) No sense whatsoever. And here's why. Because if you've never stepped forward with intention to covenant with a body of believers in a particular place under the oversight of a particular body of elders, and when you were in your right mind, okay, agreed to be corrected when necessary, agreed to be disciplined when necessary by that body, then listen, when it comes time for you to be corrected, whenever you lose your mind, okay, and some of us know what it means to lose your mind. Some of you lost your mind. I've lost my mind before. I had to be reeled back in at times. So when you lose your mind and people come to correct you, they come to admonish you, they come times to reprove you, to use language of the scriptures, or rebuke you, then when that happens, based upon the particular culture in which we live, here's how we would naturally respond. If you have not stepped forward, when you were in your right mind to say, yes, I want to be corrected, I want to be disciplined, when I lose my mind, as I submit to the leaders here as a part of this body, if you never take that step intentionally, here's how you'll respond. You'll say, who are you to come to me? That's just the prevailing wind in our culture. But listen, if you intentionally take that step forward to say, yes, when I'm in my right mind, I'm covenanting with this body under the oversight of these elders to submit myself to their correction, to their discipline, to their discipleship, to their concern for me to grow in holiness and be conformed to the image of Christ, then whenever I lose my mind and you come to me and and you correct me and I say, who are you? I've got something to say to that now, right? We are those that you covenanted with for the, for the witness of Christ in this community and for your own growth and holiness. You see, without church membership, that idea of discipline, correction, Right, treating those as Gentiles and tax collectors if they were not believers, not a part of the family, it doesn't make sense. 
if I could just come in and say, this is where I'm going to be, if I can leave and say, I'm not going to be here anymore, then that whole idea of discipline doesn't make sense. Yet we're called to it. Fourth, and finally this morning, it's service to the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 to 31, Actually, we're going to stop in verse 20. I've got all that here, but for the sake of time, verses, I think I can show you what we need to see in verses 12 to 20. Paul's writing to the church about spiritual gifts. And listen to what he says about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say to the hand, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing uh, were, were an eye? Where would the sense uh, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now listen, in Paul's vision of the church here in 1 Corinthians 12, he envisions it, the metaphor that he uses is that of a human body. Right? You recognize that as we read that text and pick up on the fact that he's talking about arms and eyes and ears and legs and, and, and mouths. But listen, I want you to see something in the text that in his vision for the church, that every one of those members is connected and accountable to the rest of the body. Okay, so here's what you don't have. You don't have amputated arms and hands just kind of dragging themselves around doing stuff, right? You don't have amputated legs and feet just kind of hopping around from place to place, going someplace, right? You don't have amputated eyes just kind of rolling around seeing things. You don't have amputated tongues just kind of flopping around the floor saying stuff, right? They're all connected to the body, and as a result, they're all accountable to the body, that's his vision for the church and the exercising of gifts is that yes, we would be serving the church but in ways that are connected and accountable. And so what that means for us as a local church is that for those who do not intentionally step forward and say yes, I want to be, I want to submit to these particular shepherds and this particular pastor as they exercise oversight for my soul, knowing they're gonna give an account to God one day and I'm gonna submit myself to this church body for my own growth and holiness and to be an ambassador for Christ, a representative and witness for him in this community. Yes, I wanna step forwards into that. Not kind of crawfish backwards, but step forwards into it, then it's going to severely hinder what they're able to do in the life of this local church. Right? Because we're not going to throw people up on stage to lead in song who have not said, Yes, I want to be a part of this body. I want to be a part. I want to come under the leadership of these elders. I want to submit myself to the discipline of this church body. So that when I'm wayward, 
there's people who can lean into my life. They can help me grow in holiness and disciple me. I'm responsible and accountable to them. I won't be able to teach in a class. Okay? There's just certain things that you're going to limit yourself from doing. Now, can you go out to the community and pass out canned goods and collect back? Yeah, sure you can. But when it comes to being a representative of our church in places that, that, that form the doctrine, the teaching of our church, we want to know that people believe in what we're saying, what we hold to and affirm before we position them into places of leadership in the life of the church. So we're not going to, you won't be installed as a deacon, you won't be installed as an elder, won't be, can't even be nominated unless you're a member of this local body to be connected and accountable. So you see those four pieces of evidence. Okay, so you got, what, oversight of elders, you got submission of members, you've got practice of discipline, and then you've got service to the body. I believe there's at least those four things that provide biblical roots for this whole practice of church membership. Biblically, it's why we do that. But you know what? Not only does that, that concept of membership have biblical roots, but it has practical results. Okay, now let's press this into life a little bit more here this morning. What is the practice of membership in the life of a church? What does it function as? Let me tell you what it functions as. Membership is a seawall in the life of a local church. Right? You know what a seawall is? No? Okay, let me tell you what a seawall is. A seawall. All right, it can be made out of all kinds of things. Seawall can be made out of rocks, can be made out of concrete, sandbags, sheet metal, whatever you might want to put at the edge of the shore to keep the soil from eroding and create soil stability there in that place. Because you know as well as I do, if you took seventh grade science, some of you aren't there yet, but you will be, maybe it's even in third grade science. I don't know where they teach it yet, but these days, but when water comes into contact with soil, whether it's just lapping against the shore with a real gentle kind of, kind of, you know, I can't make the sound effect, but you know what I'm talking about. When it's lapping against the shore or it's crashing against the shore whenever the north wind's howling after a cold front and there's 25 to 30 mile an hour winds causing swells and white caps. Either way, eventually that gentle lapping or that massive pounding of waves against an unprotected shore, it begins to erode the soil that's there, doesn't it? And some of you have seen this on lakes. I see it quite often every spring on lakes, right? As the wind crashes against the shore, and what it does, it, in some places where there's kind of bluffs, is it begins to erode that area underneath. You ever seen that before, where it kind of hollows out a cavity there? And as it hollows out a cavity, I can't pass those up whenever I'm bass fishing, right, because they like to get up under there, conceal, flip into them. That's a, maybe that's a story for another day. But listen, it hollows out that cavity, all right? And then eventually, as the elements and the weather continue to manipulate that unprotected shoreline, here's what happens, right? If you're standing on the cliff created by that cavity, what's gonna happen eventually is what? It's gonna collapse. You're gonna, it's gonna fall down into the water. And you know what happens then? The process starts over again, doesn't it? 
because there's now a new bluff that the water is pounding against and it's eroding, creating a new cavity which is eventually gonna collapse and then it happens again, a new cavity which is eventually gonna collapse and before long, what you have over the course of years in that place, what you have is the erosion and instability of the soil that continues to wash away into the water because it's left unprotected. But a seawall, when somebody comes along and stacks sandbags or they pour rocks or they pour concrete or they create sheet metal, right? It protects that soil from the pounding or lapping of the waves and so that soil doesn't erode. It doesn't create the cavities. It doesn't have the collapses as that falls through and underneath. But it protects the soil. It creates stability in the soil there. Where, it, where the shore comes into contact with the water. And listen, church, membership does the same thing in a church. It does the same thing in a church. It protects us against the tidal waves of the prevailing 21st century American culture that has been eroding and washing away, creating cavities and causing collapses in churches across our nation for the last 50 to 100 years. And listen, there's two prevailing waves that continue to crash against the church that I think membership helps protect us from. And the first one is this. It's the wave of consumerism. The wave of consumerism. Now listen, scholars, pastors, theologians, sociologists, Right, cultural experts, they all look at the 21st century American culture and they have noted that one of the tidal waves that has risen within our day that shapes the culture in which we live is what they call radical consumerism. Radical consumerism. Now consumerism, it has a pattern, it has a power, and it produces a product. Okay, let me tell you what its pattern and power are and then tell you the kind of product it produces in the church. Okay? The pattern of consumerism is this, is that it tells us a story about who we are based on what we buy, the kind of brands that we buy, the kind of stores that we shop at. And so essentially what consumerism does is it, it causes us, it shapes us, it puts lenses over our eyes, it causes us to see ourselves and our identity connected to the things that we possess, the things that we own, the experiences that we can enjoy, the places that we can travel, the types of vehicles in our parking, in, in, our, in our driveway, okay? It, who we are on the basis of what we wear around our waist, the clothes that we put on our back, Okay, so I'm, the, I'm a particular kind of person because I shop at particular kinds of stores. Like, I'm not a shabby thrift store person, right? It's only boutiques for me, right? I'm not a big box store kind of person. It's only these little moms and pops for me. Or I'm not a mom and pop kind of, I'm gonna go where the discount is real and deep at the big box, right? I'm that kind of person. My identity gets shaped around the kind of experiences I have and the products that I buy. That's the pattern of consumerism. And listen, there is nothing more powerful in the story of consumerism than that of perception. It causes, it changes the way that you see yourself and it changes the way that you see others and it changes the way you are perceived by others because if people are looking through your windows of a particular kind of car that you're driving or a particular kind of home that you're living in or the furniture that makes up that home, they're perceiving you to be a particular kind of person and you're seeing yourself as that particular kind of person as well. There's a power in perception, right? 
Whether that's the f- actual, it doesn't matter as long as you're perceived in a particular way. And then the product that consumerism produces, particularly in the church. Listen, in the church, contrary to popular belief, consumerism doesn't empty churches and send people away to the mall, but what it does is it brings people to the church looking for the mall, for goods and services to experience. It brings people to the church looking for what they, a particular kind of identity because I'm a part of a particular kind of church. I'm consuming that in a particular place. And yet, listen, as a res- so, so as a result, listen, what we tend to do is measure the success of a church or the failure of the church based upon the size of the programs it can produce, the goods and services it provides. And so as we visit from church to church, here's what we end up doing. We end up going, well, we got a checklist. 12 things, right? They meet all 12 things. We're in, right? And what happens is, is when a church, and, 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 I, and I've seen this over the years, when a, when, when a, when a, when a family or particular um, believers within the life of the church, whenever they're changing stages of life, and they go, oh, well, there's not something here for this stage of life that we have now, so we're gonna go find that at a different church now that we're in that stage of life because they have something for that stage of life. So instead of staying in covenant with these people and saying, I don't wanna just consume ministry, but God, would you use me in this place to create ministry that doesn't exist now so that the body can be served well? That's, what, that's one of the reasons that we wanna put up a seawall of membership is to keep people or, or try to counsel people and shepherd people Toward an understanding of responsibility, accountability, discipleship, not perks, privilege, and access. The second wave that continues to lap against the shore of the church in our culture is not only consumerism, but it's individualism. It's individualism, right? Trevin Wax, who is a a pastor, social commentator, he he wrote about this in quoting an individual by the name of Robert Bella, who was the first one to coin the phrase expressive individualism, and listen to what they say about this. He says, according to this way of thinking, the goal of life is to discover and express your unique sense of self, no matter what others may say or do to challenge your freedom of personality. You see how membership already is beginning to rein some of that back in? All right, the narrative arc of your life is finding your personal route to happiness by following your heart, expressing your true self, and then fighting whoever would oppose you, your society, your family, your past, or your church. See, if consumerism tells you you are what you buy, individualism says you are what you feel. You are what you feel. And one of the way the seawall of membership works in the life of a local church is it won't allow us to operate on the basis of that foundational understanding of who we are. We're not, we are not who we feel ourselves to be. But there is an objective identity of who God declares us to be. And there are certain ways that we operate on account of that. And so I'm not the ultimate determiner of what is right and wrong for me. All truth is not subjective based upon where I am, my past experiences, and where I want to go. But truth is objective, rooted in God's revelation. And the church brings me back to that whenever I'm 
feeling as if I am not who the Bible says I am, but I am something else or someone else. That's a part of submission in church membership. See, individualism says, well, well, consumerism says, I I will consume goods and services here. Individualism says, I'm the one who decides. I'm the one who decides when I'm here, and I'm the one who decides when I leave. And many churches that have kind of jettisoned the idea of church membership, what happens is they end up having common law members, not covenant members. You know? You know, there's a phenomenon within our culture. If any two people live together long enough, present themselves as if they're married, right? Present themselves to their friends and family. They function that way, bring their bank accounts together, do all those things, live under the same shared dwelling, right? After a certain amount of time in certain jurisdictions, there is a label that gets placed on them of common law marriage, but they didn't do anything intentionally to step forward into a covenant with another person. All they did was kind of back into that because they'd been together long enough. And yet, covenant marriage is so different because you look at the other person and you say, I know that you're flawed, so am I, and yet I'm committing my life to you to serve you, to love you, to care for you, to encourage you, to walk alongside of you, to correct you when you need correction. My wife has done that over the years very well, very graciously, very lovingly. And I wouldn't be the man that I am today without her. And I aspire to be a better man 20 years from now because of her. But listen, that's covenant marriage. And that's, that's the difference between common law membership and covenant membership. You don't just say, well, we've been here long enough. We must be members No, covenant membership is stepping forward saying, I see your flaws, I'm flawed too, right? But I want to love, serve, encourage, correct, build, create in this place alongside of these people for the witness of Christ in this world. So membership is a seawall. So what do we do with this? Let me give you two things and they're gonna be quick and then we're gonna be done and we're gonna eat together and celebrate what God's been doing and what we look forward to him doing in 2020, okay? By his power as it continues to work. The first thing is this, listen. What do we do with this? First thing is this, move toward membership. Move toward membership. Let me ask you a question, Are you several questions. Are you a Christian? Have you repented of sin and trusted in Christ? Have you been born again? Have you passed from death to life, darkness to light, despair to the hope of Jesus in your life? Have you found a love for God, a love for his word, and a love for his people awakened in your soul? Have you been baptized? Have you been publicly born witness to your faith in Jesus? Right? Have you been buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, publicly identifying with him, declaring your love and loyalty, your allegiance and affection to him above and before anyone and anything? Has your faith in Jesus ever come out of the closet and gone public? Right? Because listen, while Christianity and a relationship with God is a very personal relationship. It is not a private relationship. Okay? Not a private one. 
to move toward membership. If you're a guest with us this morning, whether that's in this church, another church, as you visit, don't just crawfish back into it in a common law way, but covenant with a particular people in a particular place who are part of a particular pastor, uh, uh, part of a particular pasture under particular pastors in order to witness to Christ in that community. Right? The way that we do that here at Redeemer is through a process. Right? And that process will launch, for those who are interested in moving forward in that, on, just, on February 2nd, we'll have a class, what we call review, immediately following the service. It'll be in room five, which is just on the other side of that wall. Right? If you blew through that wall, that's where it would be. And in that room, we'll talk about our doctrine, our mission, our vision, and our core values. Who we are, what makes us who we are as a church. The next Sunday, we'll have covenant membership class. Right, in that same room at that same time immediately following the service, in that class we'll talk about our membership covenant. Okay, what it means, what expectations you should have of elders and leaders here, what expectations you should have of members and of yourself as a member here. Following that, if you're ready to take that step intentionally in covenant membership, we'd ask you to return a membership covenant to us. At that time, one of our elders will contact you to sit down for an elder interview where we love to hear about your conversion. We love to hear about God's saving work in your life, bringing you to life from the dead. So we ask you about your conversion, right? Because we don't want people just moving from one church role to another without ever really being born again. We ask you about your understanding of the gospel. What is that? We ask you about where you, or help guide you to connect relationally in the church. Help guide you to figure out a place of service in the church. And then following that elder interview, we bring you before the congregation to receive you. Because if the congregation, the church is the one who's exercising discipline and at times having to dismiss members. And the church is the one who's receiving them as well. And so we bring you before the church. And the church says, amen. Let it be. Members, yes, embrace them, love them, serve them well, all right? So work through the process, move toward membership. Second of all, if you are a member here, let me say something to you. I wanna encourage you to mature in your membership. Mature in your membership. You know, there are certain points in all of our lives in which we tend to stall out, don't we? Right, things can kind of grow stagnant. But listen, I want to admonish you this morning as we move into 2020, I want to encourage you to make it an aim of yours this year to mature in your membership. And let me give you one, one expression of that and then we're going to be done, right? One expression of that is that for some of us who have been here for some time now is that we need to take a step, a step from just attending and participating to owning, Right? There's a difference, a big difference between attending and celebrating and owning, okay? You can drive an hour across town and go sit in Jerry World, okay? And you can drink $20 drinks and order $20 nachos, get a party pass and go sit up on the mezzanine. I don't know why you'd want to go to a game there anyway, but that's beside the point. Um, as somebody who's not a Cowboys fan. Uh, but, but listen, you can go over there and you can attend that place. And you know what you, we typically do whenever we just attend someplace or we participate someplace, we don't really have ownership in someplace, is we tend to have critiques and criticisms constantly. But we never really, or we might see things, but never really do anything about it. Right? So the bathrooms were dirty. Man, there were, there were tissues all over the floor. Right? It's been a while since somebody cleaned that place. And so we 
critique, right? The floor was unvacuumed, critique. There were sticky spots on the, on the vinyl, critique, right? We all walk in, might see the same things, but ownership, ownership, listen church, is about taking a step to do something about it. See, we could talk all day long about things that we would like to see happen, but my question is, where are the people who are willing to say, you know what, sign me up to be a deacon. I want to, I aspire to serve this church and take ownership of particular areas of ministry and see what God would do as we create ministry here. I'm not just here to consume it. And listen, if you're a member, I want to encourage you and challenge you this year that you would aspire, you would aspire toward ownership of something. Can't own everything, but you can own something. And where will that be? So it has biblical roots, practical results. So move towards it and mature in it, church. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. And Father, even though it's a little different than our normal sermon here for us at Redeemer and kind of moving from scripture to scripture rather than plowing through, chopping up one and digesting it together. I pray that your words would fall upon, fertile, had fallen upon fertile soil. That God, that you would open our ears to hear and that your spirit would work. Father, I pray that whatever was not of value that came out of my mouth, God, that you would discard and whatever was of eternal value, Father, that you would amplify in the hearts and the lives of the hearer. Father, I pray that we would see a vibrant church that gives a vibrant witness to Jesus in this community. Here in faith as it grows, I pray that, that churches like Redeemer and churches like First Baptist Fate and churches like Friendship and churches like Crosspoint and churches like, uh, uh, churches like First Baptist in, in Royce City churches all across our community. Father, I pray that there be a vibrant witness as you're working, drawing people to this, these eastern suburbs. There be vibrant witnesses to Jesus planted in every single community to serve those neighborhoods. And I pray that ours would be no different. I pray that it be a vibrant witness to Jesus, that we would be an embassy or an outpost of kingdom here in this kingdom, in this world, and that you, because of of the seawall of membership in our lives, you would help us grow as ambassadors, as representatives, as citizens of the kingdom who would bring others the good news of Jesus. Father, may it be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.